Hi, this is Mike Metcalf. This time talking about forecasting or designing a particular forecasting system. By forecasting, I'm including all future studies. I don't just mean statistics. So, scenario planning, foresighting, anticipation, prediction, anything really that worries about the future, about what's going to come over the horizon. Sometimes, of course, we're asked for point figures or bands of certainty. What will the oil price be, plus or minus 10%? That's forecasting. But I think also saying what is, is likely to come over the horizon and disrupt our industry, what black swan events, as they're called, are likely to make a serious disruption to the history of our organization. So let's assume our hero, Oscar, has received another email, this time saying, please, can you provide them with a forecast of what the oil price will be next year? Because they feel that oil price is fundamental to the pricing of their products and services. Of course, there's numerous types of oil, even when oil comes out of the ground. There's heavier versions and lighter versions which is part of the reason there's a world trade and that some countries that actually produce a lot of oil or dig up a lot of oil still import certain other oils. And when you distill or frack or uh, work on oils and separate them, you're forced to have certain percentages. So there's a certain percentage of gas, certain percentage of petrol, certain percentage of crude oil of various grades. Needless to say, it's a very complicated industry. And also, oil price varies a little bit where you are. Of course, it varies on a daily basis, but the Singapore price might be different from the price coming out of other refineries. So, first of all, Oscar's going to try and identify vaguely what system he's talking about here. He's going to to be thinking about. And it is the oil pricing system, which is slightly different from the oil production system or delivery system. So elements in this is going to include things like exchange rates. It's going to include OPEC decisions, natural disasters. It's going to include things like refinery. I think there are economies of scale on refineries, so bigger refineries and smaller refineries. Things like the the Russian economy dependence on exporting oil and gas, the building of new pipelines, for example, from Russia to China, or new pipelines in the Middle East. Of course, another element in the system will be demand, the weather. The increasing use of solar and wind is a factor, although it's only present about 1% of the world demand for energy. More important, possibly, is the industrialization and growth of China and India. And we need to be careful that we're talking about largely oil for transportation, coal and gas being used for the production of electricity, mainly, of course. And you've also got the research and development going on, particularly in the US, with shale oil. And even the gas price has some impact on the oil price a lot of fracking going on in the U.S. and increasingly around the world. 
uh, has a, will have an impact. It's a definitely an element in the system. So inputs will be things like the previous price, OPEC negotiations, the whether Russia joins in with those OPEC negotiations. You get breakdowns such as a, a breakdown in the pipeline in the North Sea, which can disrupt oil supplies. You get wars breaking out, the ongoing war between, or proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran, clearly having a price um, effect. And the US's negotiations and uh, foreign policy towards Iran will have an effect, as did the war in Iraq against ISIS. The price tends to react upwards to global events and wars, such as the war in Syria and that sort of thing. Weather's really quite important. They're having a very cold winter in North America, which will uh, massively increase the demand for fuel. The same can be said when you get very hot periods, there'll be large demand for air conditioners. There being few substitutes for air conditioners, whereas with uh, cold weather, people burn wood and other things in order to get heating. And the outputs of this system is a price, or a price range, I think you'd have to say, and a level of confidence about that price range. One assumes you'd also add a few assumptions in providing a forecasted price. So, Oscar would start this process by saying, I'm going to try and forecast the price of oil using a handful of different approaches. If you like, again, a handful of organizing principles or concepts. So these would include things like exponential smoothing. I'll take the price, the charts, and see whether I can find any pattern in the data. They might include a sort of regression, saying what are the factors that cause the price to go up and down, and I'll do a regression model saying that if they go up and down, then I expect the price to go up and down. Of course, finding those factors that affect um, oil price is another issue. Another way the forecast might be undertaken is by the opinions of experts. Uh, Armstrong's work often says that semi-experts are just as accurate as experts, but having some knowledge of the oil industry and some of the issues, talking to people, at least reading about them, and trying to find out what issues they think are important is, is definitely one way of approaching this problem. Initially, uh, a narrative analysis approach. Building some sort of computer model is another possible one, but perhaps too hard when you think of the number of variables. A regression model would be sufficient. I think some sort of uh, systems diagram, dynamic systems model, might be very difficult. A, a cause and effect diagram might work might be useful, but maybe this is one that will will jump. Or rather, Oscar figures. He'll put that on a back burner for now. Another way of doing this forecast is to go around looking for other forecasts. It's obviously a big issue, and a lot of people will forecast, so maybe we could find the average of all the forecasts. This is a little bit like the wisdom of the crowds thing, saying, I want to find the average and variance, variation, standard deviation of other peoples.
And then perhaps largely we should start thinking about black swan events, what sort of things might happen, what has happened in the past to affect the prices. I think a good knowledge of history here might be useful, particularly the history of oil prices, which would include some sort of understanding of the substitutes. If there's a sudden crisis of some sort, there's plenty of sources of energy, it's just that uh, we choose the one that's uh, quickest and easiest and cheapest. But if that isn't available, then we have to move on to the next one. As they say, you can run a power station on sugar if you want to, or you know, burn anything really, everything's got energy in it, before we even reach the nuclear fuels. Although that raises the issue that maybe we need to look at under capacity what what potential there is around the world for um, substituting or people ramping up the supply. Do need to focus because on oil, though, because that was the question, not energy generally. Although transport, shipping, pipes, it's a very important part of the uh, you know elements of of the system. Uh, transport costs usually are quite low. The only issue is a, a broken pipe because huge volumes go through a pipe. But ships are more flexible. If a ship goes down, you can get another ship, usually. It's only things like warfare that will block the, the supply of ships. Or maybe an environmental movement stopping ships from getting into port or taking particular routes. Okay, so going back to the beginning... So Oscar's looking for a historic oil price record, what the oil price has been, particularly out of Singapore, if that's what he's going to use as the basis. A nice long time series would be useful. He can look for patterns in it. He can do exponential smoothing or curve fitting to find the slope and variation. I'll leave that uh, to your imagination. There's millions of YouTube videos on how to do exponential smoothing or curve fitting. Something to remember, though, with curve fitting and uh, smoothing is that the price of oil will determine you know, which sources uh, are viable or not viable. At certain prices, people can't supply. So things like saying, well, if the price goes down to... $30 a barrel it becomes a political issue in the Middle East because their budgets and expenditure requires higher than that in order f you know, to balance their budget as, as nations. And then you get... Uh, if it's not higher, though, things like shale oil can become uneconomic or some particular sites can become uneconomic. So there are tipping points for you know, the production and supply of, of oil depending on the price. Understanding these is part of understanding the oil supply system. If we go on now to regression, that is trying to find a handful of variables that are highly correlated with oil prices, we could do that in a, in a data dredging way, just look back for variables. Economic variables are often used, um, you know, exchange rates or um, you know, the weather or the price of something or other. I think OPEC meetings are often used, uh, the outcome of OPEC meetings. But I think 
you could also think about these variables as being input to your oil price system and we could ask or analyze experts opinion to try and find these so we might move on to the sort of narrative analysis of newspapers and experts to come, try and come up with a handful of issues, concepts, whatever you want to call them, priorities um, that, that can be then be used, quantified, or maybe not, maybe it's going to have to be dichotomous data and be used in the regression analysis. Fortunately, regression analysis is fairly robust. It's tempting to think that you might use a, a Boolean analysis in place of regression, but my experience is that regression gives you the same sort of answers and can handle a lot more data. If you were short on data, you might use a Boolean analysis. That is a rules-based approach, but I think in the case of oil price, we're going to have more numbers we know what to do with. And we have a very long time series uh, as input data. So, Oscar would now move on to looking through the newspapers, looking for expert stuff on the web, trying to identify experts and, and identify statements that he thought were very important. People saying... You know, the oil price next year will be very dependent on the weather in America or the oil price next year will be very dependent on the new refinery being built in China or these sort of statements of expert opinion. He needs about 100 of them. He could then use the idea networking approach, which basically means you do a cluster analysis on these statements so that they, they cluster into about five or so issues or themes and then try and name those and give them a title. Um, so examples might include foreign policy, weather, supply, Russia, etc. Whatever the, the issues seem to come out of the narrative analysis. I was recently watching that Unibomber series on television where they talk about linguistic forensics, that is, trying to understand documents for core concepts or approaches or issues or influences. Fairly similar, I think, to when we talk about narrative analysis, except that we are looking for underlying issues or a handful of, of underlying issues using idea networking. Once Oscar's got these concepts, he's going to have to turn them into variables. It might be yes, no, or it might be able to improve that number system. If you can get to a, a proper number system, as in you know, 1 to 100, and being able to number the um, some events or whatever, but it needs a way then of quantifying the issues or concepts so that you can then do a regression analysis against the oil price to see if they're correlated. Oscar was also a bit of a fan of Deirdre McCluskey and of a few other people now, I think Scott Armstrong and those who don't like significance testing because they say you might find something's correlated but they're not 
really that important. What you're after is the most important variables, and significant testing doesn't tell you that. So a lot of effort needs to go into finding the issues or concepts that you're using and asking yourselves if they're the most important factors. And really, unless it's obvious on a graph that there's some sort of correlation between things and there is a reasoned explanation for that correlation, it most likely shouldn't be included in this regression model. And notice that this regression model now is a model of our pricing system, very simple one. It isn't like a systems dynamics model, which has got stocks and flows and elements that's quantified, um, which can become very, very detailed. I still have to say, in my experience, those systems dynamic or complex systems diagramming are very hard to do and very hard to get accurate for a complex real-world situation. They might be useful in, say, production line at a factory, but I think when you're dealing with something as international as oil, it's going to be very hard to draw a systems dynamics model with limited time and resources. So the regression model will have to do. It might well be that the choice of experts needs splitting up a bit. You could take leading newspapers or leading oil companies. You could have private contacts. You could try and use semi-experts and, and say, well, I'll collect a, a number of factors, a number of concepts or issues from this group of experts and from this group of experts to see if they're the same and then model them separately. Well worth putting a lot of time into collecting this set of concepts to put into the regression model. Because if you're not into statistics, you might just hold on to the number of issues and use them in a qualitative way. There are some qualitative expert systems, sort of pieces of software that will let you use issues or factors to help make decisions. But Oscar's Priority is, uh, is identifying these factors and issues and not wanting thousands of them and not wanting one or two of them. Again, five being an optimum number, but it might be five from one particular group of experts and five from another group of experts and comparing them. So now, to recap to some extent, Oscar's used three different methods. He's used the curve fitting or exponential smoothing from past oil prices. He's gone round experts, done a narrative analysis or idea networking to come up with a, a bunch of factors or concepts that, that people think are important for the oil price. And he's then put them into a regression model to see if he can't be in a position to say, well, if these are the numbers for these factors, then this will be the oil price. Again, he feels a bit of a shame that those who are going to use the oil price aren't involved in this exercise because most of the learning occurs in collecting the data and putting it into the model. If you just get the output, the end price, and say, well, if these factors are set at this level, then this will be the price, and you just give people a price and a variance, they really don't have enough information or they haven't learned a lot about the oil price. The person who does the forecasting learns a lot about the oil price. They become a bit of an expert themselves. 
There used to be a term in artificial intelligence research called a qualitative model from a quantitative model. That is, you might model something quantitatively and the end result is not that much use, but the process of doing it has built a qualitative model of the issues in your head. So if you're modeling a complicated thing, as if oil wasn't complicated, but if you said, well, I'm interested in you know, military strategy and I want to know whether this country is likely to invade us or not, then I still think you could do a regression or Boolean analysis historically saying when these conditions applied, did they or did they not attack? Of course, it's, it's not definitive, but the act of doing it and putting the data together makes you think what the variables or the factors or the issues are that uh, lead to you know, a change in events. I've seen this done with revolutions. You know, what are the factors that need to be in place for a revolution to occur? Or perhaps rather, for a revolution to actually topple a government successfully. Although you shouldn't forget that nearly all revolutions end up with 20 years of turmoil afterwards, evolution being perhaps a preferable way forward. So... Oscar's now used three roughly different methods. There was the exponential smoothing, there was the asking experts to identify factors and seeing if you couldn't build a, some sort of quantitative model from those factors and perhaps end up at least with a qualitative model of the issues. One that I, or he, might have mentioned is that you could, of course, go around and collect all the forecasts of prices that are available you know, in the newspapers, online, and average them out, uh, again, on a wisdom of the crowds. But that's still a sort of quantitative method. We need to move on now to more of the qualitative methods. The terminology used around here is usually something like scenario planning, black swan events, tipping points and perhaps role-playing. Of course, all these methods overlap each other. Um, you can use one in another, just as for the purpose of explanation, trying to keep them separate. I think given the empirical results that have come out of Scott Armstrong and Kirsten Green's research, role-playing seems a, worth a particular mention. It is, of course, a, a sort of formalised method of argumentation or debate, allowing in different perspectives. So you get a handful of people sitting around the table, a little bit of a background, they each play a role. So in our case, the oil prices, someone might be a, an OPEC member, somebody else might be a heavy user, someone else might be you know, a pipeline manager, and somebody else might be a you know, foreign exchange expert or at least be playing that role, and um, you give them some scenario, something happens, and ask them all to play it out. Again, the idea is to raise the issues, see some of the problems. I think particularly in conflict situation, it's been found that role-playing is quite good for uh, bringing up some of the issues. 
I suppose it is to some extent another form of red teaming. Whether it's better to let one group go off and, and argue in favour of something, another group go off and argue against it, red team, and then bring them together in a sort of courtroom in order to, uh, to let them argue it out. I think it's another variation on the method. You might use role-playing to develop scenarios, as in scenario planning, where you start with an incident, something has occurred, and I don't know, the Chinese have fired on an Indonesian ship or something, and, and get people to work out that scenario, how it might develop, what might happen to it, and what impact it's going to have then on oil prices or world events. You might, in fact, have different groups producing different scenarios, and as a result, you'd say, well, I think certain scenarios are more likely than other scenarios. I do suspect these sort of events need to be grounded a little bit of data. You, people need to know, you know how big countries are and how many you know, ships they've got and how much oil they use, and, and a certain amount of statistical data needs to be produced or, and, and provided to the players in this. Otherwise, with national events, people will be a bit overwhelmed. I mean, knowing how much of Europe's oil is supplied by Russia, for example, is an important variable. Understanding how much oil is being fracked in America compared to their needs, with some understanding of the different types of oils, and really how much of a substitute gas is for oil, and what you do if you produce a certain amount of, of diesel and you've got to produce a certain amount of petrol and that sort of thing. I think the term is you really need semi-experts, people with a little bit of background in these issues. They don't have to be the world's guru, but they have to have some understanding for the role play to come out reasonably. You can see how consequences pattern of, of events that will follow something occurring is very important here, including what uses will this event be put to? Because I think a lot of big events in our history are just exploited as opportunities. So if you had the Americans, a lot of Americans in government thinking we'd really like to invade Iraq, and then there's some event like 9-11 they can hijack it in order to evade Iraq. Whether there was any real connection or not is, is unclear, but people wait for an event and then use it to advance their agenda. So understanding people's agendas is quite important and that events will be hijacked to advance those agendas. It's also important, I think, to remember the cost-benefit analysis or trade-off it's very easy for people to point out one side of things. It, even in the climate debate, you can point out you know, the pollution being done by oil or something. But the benefit and number of lives saved by oil also needs to be mentioned. The, the same with the guns debate. is There might be a lot of shootings, but you've also got to ask yourself, how many lives have gu guns saved? This is always remembering that there's sort of two sides to the, to the argument. There's a cost and benefit to nearly everything. Or there's some sort of trade-off. 
You know, we put up with guns because they save a lot of lives, despite the fact they kill a lot of people. We put up with cars because, despite the fact they kill a lot of people, because they're very convenient in our lives. Nearly everything we, we have is some sort of trade-off. As the final method that Oscar wants to use to think about his oil price is, is taking the work of uh, Taleb and the Black Swan um, and the anti-fragile ideas and even the blood in the game. I, th I think the work of Taleb is very important for forecasting. Uh, as a man who has a lot of experience in, in probabilities and events occurring and, and what to do about them, that whole literature is quite important. I'm tempted just to call it Talab's approach to forecasting. It's hard to do it complete justice, but the idea is that really forecasting shouldn't worry about a few percentage here, a few percentage there. It should be worrying about catastrophic events coming over the horizon. Now, of course, to the media, everything's a catastrophic event. But it, so it's important to identify what really would be a catastrophic event and have some sort of monitoring or criteria setting to say what would be a catastrophic event. So with oil prices breaking a pipeline and very heavy weather or a bunch of people agreeing to controlling output or a technological advance, as in fracking, becomes a serious factor, a new serious factor coming over the horizon. Maybe even the environmental movement or some sort of development of hydrogen fuel cells. These are the sort of black swan events that are going to have a significant impact. What brought down oil prices from was $140 a barrel to $40 a barrel was largely the, the American technology of fracking or shale oil which meant that the OPEC countries weren't in a position of monopoly anymore. Venezuela and Russia have always been a little bit of a problem to the Middle East. There's a huge strategic balance going on. If the Americans and others, even the Europeans, did a lot more fracking and provided their own fuel, the whole geopolitical balance would change because people are only really interested in the Middle East is because they are the main source of oil. They're not the main source of oil, or we move on to another technology, like hydrogen fuel cells, then the whole geopolitics changes. Although, don't forget the sheer volume of oil being shifted and the, sh the massive need for oil to keep people from freezing and, fr and frying to death. Plus keeping all the trucks on the road, cars on the road, planes in the air. It's a massive industry. The anti-fragile part of Taleb's work is sort of saying it's not enough to be resistant. So if you're asking about the oil price because you're thinking, well, our business is very sensitive to oil price, and if it goes up, we might be in trouble, he's saying redesign your business so that it can take advantage in the variation rather than it can just withstand variation in the oil price. It would actually benefit from the, the variation. This, this might even just be a matter of taking out options. But you should design the system so that it can take advantage of, or it rather likes variation in prices, or high prices or low prices.
And blood in the game reminds us to focus on people who have got a lot to gain or lose. You have an environmentalist saying we don't want to use oil, that's one thing. But people who you get in China who can go and grab a handful of pieces of coal for next to nothing and take them home and stop their children from freezing to death really have a different world view. They've got a lot more blood in the game about this whole energy business. And politicians really, it's the same, that if the environmental movement says, well, prices, electricity or energy is going to go up, or fuel is going to go up, um, but it's good for the planet, we have to do it, and then they get a lot of voters screaming and shouting about how high their electricity bill is or how high their petrol bill is, then we have a whole different situation. So people with blood in the game will take the whole thing more seriously and give you a more realistic view of what's likely to change in the future. This comes up with the electric car. Because people struggle to pay for cars, they're really a significant event, and most people, it's hard for them to afford a car. Imagine it's going to be difficult for electric cars to really take over unless you know you go to the car yard and there's an electric car that's the same size and has the same prestige as a petrol one and it would have to be cheaper really than the petrol one before people would be attracted to it either cheaper to buy or cheaper to run and it's got to have that functionality and status about it remembering that it, electric car might be cheaper to run now but it, if they change the taxation system, then it wouldn't be quite so cheap to fill up with electricity as opposed to petrol or diesel. And if there's, a, if there's a lot of electric cars out there, they will have to change the tax system. So I could see you using a role-playing group with all the information collected so far to be asked to do what might call, be called a, a Talab analysis, is to come up with black swan events, being aware of who has blood in the game, really, and whether which systems are anti-fragile and which ones are fragile. I'll talk later more about anti-fragile. I think it's an important concept in systems analysis. Okay, so that's about it for this episode. Um, we had a system that produces an oil price, and then we have a system of forecasting, which had five or so elements in it. I keep coming back to these five elements just because of, I think, Miller's magic number seven, plus or minus two, which I think got revised down to five. But typically, human beings like a handful of issues, 27 being too much and one not being enough. Um, same with meetings and a lot of other things. There's a, there is something magic about the number five when you talk about human beings, five fingers on your hand, etc. Um, five is most likely about enough. It could be four, five, six. doesn't make a lot of difference. So we have a system that has five or so elements in it, the forecasting system. I would have liked to have said build a systems dynamic model. Some people will be aware of what that means, a detailed model of you know, where the 
oil goes with, with sort of stocks and flows and diagrams and demand and sort of supply and demand, very complicated picture. But my experience of these things are very hard to draw up and uh, very hard to get accurate. And they're very, very adaptable. I, I remember trying once myself doing it and people will come to me and say, well, if you come to any bottlenecks, if you come to any issues, remember my job is to change it so that it, it, you know, we can solve any sort of restrictions on quantity or flows or supply or demand, which made the modeling very difficult to actually achieve. It, it became a very rigorous mathematical exercise, but not a very practical exercise. Better to have identified the handful of issues or factors that are critical to the, the price. And often that comes down to a classification issue because there are millions of issues, but putting them into some sort of category or system so that you have a handful of them that you can remember and monitor and possibly quantify is most likely a useful exercise. So your assignment would be to take something that's fairly important to your organization, uh, uh, maybe a particular source of income or a particular cost that's important to your organization or a particular assumption or a, a cultural attitude or something and forecast what it's likely to be over the next year or five years. Notice this is slightly different from planning, that sometimes it's just trying to get more information about a particular factor which would then go into the planning exercise. So, for example, if your planning said, we intend to be more international, then you might want to forecast the likely demand for your products and services in another country. As always, the reality is we get to an information overload, and we do need a way of boiling these things down to a handful of issues. The human brain just really cannot hold a massive model in its head. And I think trying to build a computer model that does is possibly a bit of a mistake. To repeat, really, my experience with computer models is they take a hell of a lot of effort to, to build and you get one or two assumptions wrong, they become very impractical. Moreover, people don't like to be told what the model says. They rather, it's the other way around, they'll say, can you tell me what's likely to happen if this happens? What are the consequences of this event occurring? And to build something that provides information about that is most likely more useful than trying to come up with a large, complicated systems dynamic model. Okay, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much.